Hi everyone, it's Jamie. I just want to share with you that my new book, Toxic Relationship Recovery, is available now. This book is for anyone who is healing after a harmful relationship, but it's also for people that are looking to identify toxic traits, toxic behaviors, and toxic strategies that get used upon people every single day. The second half of the book teaches you strategies to heal your inner voice and find your authentic self after experiencing this type of harm. I'm looking forward to you all reading it and hearing your feedback from it. It's available today. Find Toxic Relationship Recovery wherever you buy books. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are, and exploring who we are becoming. Yay, we're back. Welcome back, everybody. It feels like it's been forever. CA, how long long have we not been recording? Like three weeks? Well, it's been a bit, yeah, because we had, between the two of us, a couple different traveling, out-of-town things, and so... Yeah, it's it's been yeah, a bit. And we've been yeah. on the every other week schedule this summer, just recording less in general. So hi, it's your face is so I beautiful. Know. It's nice to see you. I know. It's nice to see you. We have a surprise for everybody because we don't do a lot of interviews. So that's one of the things that surprises people when we do because they're like, what? This isn't normal. <laughs> so we have a very special guest. Her name is Audrey Assad. She's a recording artist and writer. And she comes into our story because if we have our loyal listeners that got through the religious trauma series, which that was an endeavor in and of itself being six parts. Uh, If you did make it through the religious trauma series, you may recognize the person I mentioned in that series which I mentioned Audrey and her story. And I think even if you really have a good memory, you might remember I talked about the liturgist and how podcasts helped in a lot of my own deconstruction. So we were able to connect with Audrey and she is here with us. So welcome, Audrey, to our podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. Let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's just jump right in. I yeah, love it. Um, we we like love Audrey's energy and our like pre-interview thing that we just did. She just she's just in the right place right now. We're with we had to warn her. We're like, listen, we're so weird. So <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> you keep telling me this. Like, what's gonna happen right now? Are we talking like ancient aliens weird? Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> <like> oh boy. <laughs> some kind of weird I need to be worried about, you know? Oh my god. Oh man. No, no. Well, actually, don't get us on aliens because um we have a podcast within a podcast, Audrey, called Unhinged. So oh, it's cool. us unfiltered. <laughs> Completely unfiltered. <laughs> And so the, that does get a little out of control. And I, you know, they, the people who are tried and true listeners get to see how weird we are. Yeah. Um, we could, we right, could do so a, we could do an alien for, rabbit hole episode over there. Yeah, we can. <laughs> so yeah, CA, why don't you uh, chime in here? Cause this is where we do want to describe to you guys a little bit about what this episode means to us. So why don't you chime in? Yeah. So 
I'm excited for this interview. So I think that for a lot of people who have kind of gone through the religious trauma, religious deconstruction, reconstruction journey, wherever you are, whoever you are, I think for a lot of us, music probably has played a fairly large role in that. I mean, I know that there was like certain sections of Christianity, like music is, you know, not really a thing. But I think for a lot of kind of like people who were part of like modern evangelicalism and modern, you know, Christian movements, music played a pretty central role to like how a lot of us connected with each other and connected with our church communities and felt those experiences of, oh, God is speaking to me, you know, in these musical, you know, experiences and these like praise and worship moments. And so um, for, for a lot of us, then like going through that kind of deconstruction journey, it's been really interesting to um, re-understand all of that, recontextualize like what did all of like what was going on there? Like, why did I feel so connected to God during the the, the praise and worship part? Mm-hmm. And then, how do I connect with music now? And do I throw the baby out with the bathwater and just like stop listening to that stuff altogether? Or is there anything in there? And then, like, it can even be to the point where, like, sometimes going back and listening to religious music that you listened to when you were like deeply in those spaces can be almost re-traumatizing and and triggering in a way because it like pulls up some you know deep stuff inside of you um and then there's this whole healing side to it as well of like okay now how do we re-engage with this beautiful creative mode of expression in, in a way that brings about you know authenticity and healing and so that is why we wanted to speak with audrey because i feel like this is exactly where you're at right now with releasing new music. And um, I'm just going to kind of let you speak for yourself basically as like how, how music, how you're reengaging with music now and, mm-hmm. you know, expressing yourself through it in a different way. Wow. Uh, yeah. I am so grateful to be here. I haven't been talking about this a ton. Like there's been a few conversations here and there, but mostly I've been sort of tucked away for a few years because I learned like the hard way that going through evolution in public Mm. is um, like it adds a layer of, uh, I don't want to call it like necessarily traumatizing. It can be it's not always, but like it adds a layer of Mm. uh, emotional and intellectual labor to transition Mm. that I think, Mm -hmm. uh, and social, you know, social labor. And I just have felt such a need to kind of withdraw to go through the flowering of this change, these Mm. changes and releasing new music feels really right. And, exciting and there's also a lot of um uncertainty and sort of feelings of mild dread because I'm like I don't really I I don't know how to promote this I don't know a Mm. lot of my like audience streaming wise doesn't even maybe know who I am because I think they're probably hearing my inheritance album on a hymns playlist or whatever it's not necessarily the situation where 
I can even really mm. tell who's tuned in anymore. So, mm. um, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, but it feels so good to be just writing about living and being a human. Mm-hmm. That's the same as I ever have, but it's just, uh, the stories are, I don't know, more free to roam, I guess, topically. And that feels really mm-hmm. exciting and really fun and just normal. <laughs> it's like, this is what people do out here. They write songs about whatever, everything, right, you know, right. um, and uh, just getting to give myself time to wind my way through trying to figure out, well, what do I want to sound like even? What was, what part of my previous career choices were really what I wanted and what mm-hmm. portion of them were really sort of me leaning into what I thought I should do and I can't really answer those questions, but chewing on them has brought me some understanding of what it is that I'm looking for uh, out of being a musician at all. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's been a really fruitful time. And I feel like I am kind of coming out of a hibernation a little bit. I'm a little crusty. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that you touched on that one thing that you said there, Audrey, when you were talking about like going back through and sort of trying to parse through and you don't have to have all the answers. Nobody has to figure out all the answers right away, but trying to parse through like during that earlier part of your career when you were producing, you know, like doing Christian music, essentially, um, how much of that, like what parts of like authentic me who is existing here and now in this, you know, August, whatever it is, 2023, were always there throughout that whole journey? Like who, who, where was real me during that and like what what am I bringing forward into the future with me I'm glad Mm -hmm. you touched on that because I think that was one of the main topics that also came up with us during our um, religious trauma series is going back through and recognizing the person that we've always been that was always there and it's like hard work to do especially during some of the moments that were so painful and to say, wow, no, like there actually was like an authentic part of me that was still present, even in those like really intense moments and to try to like Mm -hmm. reconnect and reclaim those parts and pull them through into the future with you and say like, you're allowed to come out into the light now. Like you were always there and now we want to give you time to actually grow. As you said, you were kind of using that sort of like growth analogy of like flowering because I could imagine, especially with a creative like yourself having like put out so much creative expressive energy that's out there and it's still out there and it's still being streamed as you mm-hmm. said i can imagine it can be make it so much harder to do that work of like okay who am i and what parts of me are really authentically here and have always been here and knowing that like these sort of creative expressions of yours that don't fully represent who you are now are still being out there. I can imagine that's difficult to like integrate and contextualize. It is. That's well observed because, because music and faith were intertwined like this for me and had been since I was so young, I didn't realize, I think, I didn't anticipate how when I deconstructed my ideologies and my beliefs, I would also need to take apart my relationship to music itself. And that Mm -hmm. has been the hardest part for me. Mm -hmm. 
it was easy for me to walk away from the idea of hell it was easier to do that than it has been to like let go of who I think I am as an artist and who who I thought I was supposed to be and not just let go, but then to decide decide and decipher what I want. And that's where all of a sudden I realized the size of the void in uh, knowing my own desires that existed was when wow. I tried to pivot in my musical world and decide what I want to do. And I'm like, it's tumbleweeds in here in my brain. <laughs> I don't know. I have no fucking idea and I don't know how to know that and who am I and what is wanting and like all of these existential no, yeah. aspects <laughs> right? of that right and, yeah um, it's, it's yeah it's been a very gets, slow process yeah yeah it gets I'm rough still in it I don't really it's, know what I'm I, I know yeah. <laughs> right Under it, we are absolutely you are in good company you are in good listeners the listeners of our podcast have heard us say this a million times that when we ever talk about a trauma recovery skill or when we talk about like any of this, like, cause we have like a portion of our audience is absolutely in a construction mode and then some aren't. And I always tell them like, this is not my role. Like I'm, I'm not, my role is not to like sway people. It's just to give you mm-hmm. information and like take it or leave it. That's fine. But we say it a lot. We actually say the stuff we talk about, we're radically having to face almost every day and some days are better than others and some days I call CA and I she's she's been my closest Mm -hmm. friend for like 20 years some days I call her and I'm like this was a really bad day like bad Mm. psychological day I I did not Mm. use the skills I needed to use (laughs) right so it's it is it's hard to be in the public Mm. face like public facing And I mean, I'll share briefly, like the listeners just heard me go through this like really rough, depressive episode a few episodes back. I shared it while I was right on the tail end of it. And I I walked through like calling out some of the bullshit of like pedestaling people and Mm. keeping people in these boxes. And I, I'm the only reason I'm creating that parallel is that what happens is there's this, the person that I am. And the person that someone perceives me to be. Mm. And I remember Mm. being like, I need you to understand, like, I'm not going to align myself with the perception that even if millions of people say that's the perception of me, like, that does not Mm. need to sway me in any way. Like, just because a bunch of people think I'm something does not mean I have to just align myself with that perception, Mm -hmm. right? And so when I shared the depressive episode, many people were like, how are you a trauma therapist if you've never gotten your shit together? Clearly, if you're going (laughs) through this, you really shouldn't be in this profession. You're not utilizing the skills that you have, like, or that you preach. And I was sitting there and I was like, wow, there's such a like, all or nothing mentality here where like life is linear and that every step is something you could never revisit. And I remember thinking Mm. like, there's just this false sense of what life is in a Mm. lot of people's brain. Like they just think it's this like linear process and no one can like reevaluate who they are or go through something bad or rough or whatever. And then I think of your journey, Audrey, and the reason why that was so inspiring to me is that when you shared your story on the liturgist, it was one of those things where 
I'm gonna try to not get emotional. It was one of those things that like, I could hear the wound I was carrying and you like, you wrote the words to the wound, like, and you spoke those words, you spoke those words out loud. And because I heard it described in such a validated, like you were validating the wound. It wasn't like, and then glory to God. And like, you know, everything's fine. And like, I'm chill. Like, you know, everything's like, that was one of the mentalities that like, I never could get over in, in my faith group, which was people sharing horrifically traumatic things. And then they would cap it and they'd go, but glory to God, y'all. Right. Like, and I'd be like, mm-hmm. But I'm like, okay, like, all I mm-hmm. heard was like, you can't hold space. Like, there's like, no there's room no to hold your trauma. Mm-hmm. There's no space. There's no space. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when I heard you share your story, which I, I'm going to try to get my producer to find that episode <laughs> in case people really want to hear it, because that mm-hmm. would be giving them some context. But mm-hmm. when you shared your experience with scruples, when you shared your experience of de- like those early stages of deconstruction, mm-hmm. it was like you gave this like mouthpiece to what I, like you spoke the words I needed to hear just to feel like it was real. I'm serious. Mm, like yep. that, mm. that, that's where I, in CA, CA does the same thing on this podcast. Like we'll talk about things and we're like, listen, this is real. This is really happening to you. This is what real emotional mm-hmm. abuse looks like. And we'll speak to it, right? We'll even give role plays. Like I get a lot of feedback, like go do more role plays with CA because they love hearing what the, like what it actually feels like to live right. this mm-hmm. kind of experience. And that's what I think you did. I think not that you role played through it, but you were able to like walk the listener through the wounds you're carrying and then validating those and saying, I deserve to explore that. Like I deserve to know more than what I was told and what I was like indoctrinated to believe, which was like really powerful. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm so glad. What a a gift, you know, glory to God, you know, (laughs) (laughs) No, I actually remember so when sorry. that episode, when that liturgist episode yeah. dropped, I do remember Jamie specifically texting me and being like, did you hear the I liturgist episode you today? I literally- yeah. And I was like, I haven't listened to it yet. And you were like, this is literally my inner world. Like you have to listen to this because wow. I have never heard somebody speak so like clearly and descriptively what my inner world feels like. And this is what you need to hear in. And honestly, and so like, just like as Jamie's like best friend who had like walked through all those journeys with her and like, I was aware of her scruples, but like Jamie was not always like in the heat and the depth of it, not able to like express what it felt like. And so then like you almost gave a mouthpiece to that. And she was like, listen to this because this is what it's like. And I listened to it. And then it impacted me like as one of her main support people being like, whoa, this is what it feels like inside Mm -hmm. of you. Like, dang, we got to let's talk about this. Like, let's let's help because this is not good, you know, like let's work through it. And so like it is, you know, and it is this is it, it is powerful to share these stories and be open and honest about 
the reality of being a human, right? As Jamie mm-hmm. did recently, you know, on her social media, going through that depressive episode, as you and others have spoken to, you know, the darker parts of what certain religious ideologies can do to a mind um, and mm-hmm. shedding light on that and saying, hey, I don't have the answers yet, but um, let's at least just talk about the fact that this is happening and this is real and it's painful mm-hmm. and it's time to start talking about it and we'll figure out the answers together as we go along. I think that's an important mm-hmm. part of this whole journey is it's when you were talking about Jamie a minute ago about the pedestaling, right? And like people putting a particular perception upon you and saying, this is who I perceive you to be. So therefore that's who you are. And then the pressure that we can feel to conform to that perception. And, you know, that often happens during, I think it's part of a human development, but then people can get stuck there and just get stuck in this space of just performing to the perceptions that people project upon them. And what's difficult is to shed those perceptions when you still don't have your fully formed authentic identity yet. And that's the wilderness space. That's the wilderness space that we spoke about with Rev Carla and that we speak about a lot, which is this concept of like, that's not who I am. And no, I don't have a perfect replacement to give you instead. Yeah. Like I don't have mm-hmm. something else to offer up to you and say, okay, that's not me. This is me. Like that would be easy. That would make it easier. Right. Cause that's cut and dry. That's black and white. That's much simpler. And you can just give somebody a replacement, take that Barbie out of their hand and put another Barbie in and say, that's the old me. This is the new me, but it's harder to take that out and leave them with an empty hand. And you say, I don't know who I am yet. We're still in development. We're still under construction, mm-hmm. but just know that that's not it anymore. And if you want to be a support person, as I discover who I'm becoming, you can, you know, if if they are a safe and healthy person. But otherwise, I think that's what's hard is that wilderness space of like, I don't know who I am yet, but I just know that it's not that. So here's where we are. And everyone just kind of stands there going, this is uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with this, including ourselves when it's like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. And it's something I'm learning to become more comfortable with that wilderness space of just saying, I don't have an answer yet. And that's okay. I'm with you on that. I don't think that the, I don't think that ever changes once you're there. In my opinion, like the wilderness is, is life. Life Mm, is the wilderness, but the wilderness contains, you know, all kinds of life. And I, I guess when I say that, I mean that I don't think there's a way, and maybe this is just my experience. I don't know if there is an identity to be reached. It's sort of like Mm. that search is Mm. like, for me, a huge distraction from living. I, and that's part of what my quote unquote, I guess, recovery from like, you know, both, my spiritual upbringing and my religious upbringing and the kind of recovery I'm in from, well, I don't even know if I can call it recovery, but living with this mind that I have that does the things it does. And you can listen more as you guys have mentioned in this liturgist episode that I did about that. But long story short, dealing with a very real condition of like obsessive religious thought and existential 
rabbit holes and obsessions and fixations and conscience obsession and just, you know, really living in terror and dread because of those things at times. So mm-hmm. as a child and a young person dealing with that, and now being a person who I'm still a person with that mind, like it has changed. I have more tools. I think some of it has really calmed, but it still happens to me. It's still part of my life. And what I think I'm learning is like this search I have within me, I like I'm looking for some place to arrive or I'm looking for mm. some place to land or settle. And I don't think it's coming, dude. I don't think that's coming. I was like, oh, like, <laughs> I, that's, I mean, to be totally yeah. upfront, I think part of the reasons, part of the reason that doing like psychedelics in my journey has been so helpful is that it helped me ex- not just know that none of us are like, I, I sort of, I knew in my head that like, yes, like we're always changing, we're always evolving and, and we're not, mm. no person is any one thing. And I know that, but yet I cannot permit myself to mm. not be able to present an identity to people and say, this is who I am. I can't seem to give myself that permission. Mm. And when I, in altered states, experience that feeling of what it feels like to be free from that, then my, mm-hmm. it's like, I have an awareness in my body of what that feels like versus just knowing in my head that that's the truth or that that's reality. And I don't even know that that's reality. It's just what I'm, <laughs> it's what it seems like right. to me is that, you know, from right. my own experience, life is like one long change. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So well, I better I, just accept it, you know? Right. But that's right. Okay. Can I say something as someone who's also struggled with the OCD? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's still in my, it's still part of the processor, right? Um, I've grown leaps and bounds in my ability to not be imprisoned by some of the thoughts that used to hold me strong. Um, but I still catch it. Like me and Sue just caught up recently and I was starting to realize certain things about the way I dialogue can start sounding like one of my loops and I didn't always catch it and I'm starting to catch it more. And I've literally invited her to like help and not that it's her responsibility. I always try to clarify this for our listeners. It's not CA's responsibility to like heal me, but because she's one of my safe psychological humans in my, in my collective, I know that when I, when I actually, you know, present, like, would you be willing to help? Like, I know she's not saying that out of like codependency. She's saying that out of like interdependency where she's like, I can hold you mutually here, but it's also not my heal, like my healing to do for you. So I talked to her and I was like, Hey, can, can you be like also listening for some of this? Because I can tell when my brain sometimes gets stuck on a loop And sometimes I can't tell, right? And so Mm -hmm. when you have a safe community and you have your found family, they don't weaponize that and they don't take your vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. and they don't use it against you. And then they don't look at you as weak for when they catch it. And then they can also compassionately call me into my own consciousness, right? So like CA and me have been able to articulate what's the like gentlest way to like Mm -hmm. notice Mm -hmm. (laughs) like an OCD Ex, like external like sign of my OCD what's the kindest or gentlest way we can do that and like we've been able to develop like a safe word and like we really got very mm-hmm. deep into it but truly that's what it sounds like right it sounds like awareness 
but then bringing Mm -hmm. that awareness to a collective consciousness and then the collective consciousness being safe enough to hold it and say, yeah, that's not like, I'm not going to be able to facilitate the healing, but I can facilitate growth in the awareness with you. And it's safe to do that. Right. So I think what ends up happening is like with the OCD stuff, there's this interesting, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say I make a joke because it's not really funny, but it's this idea that the world teaches you to think in all or nothing thought patterns. Mm. It's like, oh, well, um, do you love mommy or daddy? Well, I love like, I love them in different ways. I love them in the nuance. I love them in the gray. I love them in different ways, right? I don't actually have to choose between mom or dad, but the way you phrase that question makes me think I have to, right? Do you love mommy or daddy? And you're like, what? Uh, uh, Okay, so you're a kid and you start thinking, okay, so do I have to choose? Like, do I have to go one or the other? Are you going to go to heaven or hell? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, you know, and then you think in these like binaries and you think in everything's like one or the other. And the, the thing is, is for minds that don't have like the proclivity to like go to OCD thinking, they, they see like there's a possibility of the nuance and my brain never did. I genuinely never saw the difference. So my sister, I'm going to share this with the listeners. My sister, we were talking about the deconstruction. My sister also got raised Catholic with me. And she looked at me and she goes, how have you, how did you never question how cruel God sounded in our faith at some points? Like the, the faith that like, I mean, the rigidity, not the like, you know, the, I'm going to take kind of this and this and this, like mm-hmm. she, I like, if you read the catechism and if you read the, like, cause we were that, I was that deeply into it. I was inside of the like full doctrine of the faith. So my sister looked at me and she goes, when you talked, she's like, you had gay friends, like you had people that you knew that were like, you know, why would you ever think God couldn't be bigger than that? And I go, my faith literally gave me a black or, well, I don't even like to, I like to say like all or nothing, like a very like all or nothing mindset where it was like, you either adhere to this teaching. You either, like, you can have a gay friend, but if they get married, you will actually be committing a mortal sin, a, a an abhorrence of against God, right? Like, you will literally be rejecting the relationship you have with God by going to your best friend's wedding. And that's a real story because I, I had a best friend that was gay when I was growing up. And I remember thinking, well, this is, this is how the world works. It's all or nothing. So Mm. I either am faithful to God and I have to choose God over the worldly people Mm -hmm. or I choose the worldly people and I reject God. And then my sister looked at me and this was literally like two weeks ago. She looked at me and she goes, how did you, how did you never consider that God could actually not be that person that would like condemn you to hell? And I go, because we were never taught to think that way. And she goes, right. But like, there's the church teaching. And then there's like, kind of the bigger understanding of how you would consider God to be like merciful or God to be. And I'm like, that's not God in my head. And me and CA had a whole deconstruction. And she goes, who, CA would be like, who is God to you, Jamie? And I'd be like, 
not the God you're talking to me about. Cause she would describe a God when we would be like in the early stages of deconstruction, she'd be like, how do you understand God? And we would describe like completely different ideologies, but we were in the same faith. And I was like, clearly there's a disconnect (laughs) between like how I connected my OCD brain. Right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. That's the intersectionality between like, religiosity ideology and and psychology right the mind because i think that's the real danger with certain religious ideologies is that for a portion of you know the population there isn't that danger for like psychological damage to that person's psyche they're just like oh yeah like right like they can just like sit in there and like hear the preacher say this that or the other thing and be like Eh, I'll take about 70% of that and leave the other 30. But the unfortunate thing is for those other folks sitting in those pews who don't have the ability to to see that nuance or kind of take or leave, they're walking away with real fixations and real trauma and real problems that they are consumed with, right? And I remember how these things used to consume you Jamie, and how you would go on like days long or weeks long fixations into a particular issue or topic and be processing it and processing and processing and just like trying to make sense of it and understand like, how do I integrate this? How do I understand this? And I, I think because it's just one of those things we've had so many conversations about this, right? It's like, because that wasn't the way that my brain was hardwired to think about those things. I just thought that you, Jamie, were like, I just thought you were like really interested in these things, right? I was like, oh, she's no, you just said really, like, you thought I was thinking a better, about this. You and that too. You said, and there was times. <laughs> yes, I was like, she's holier than I am. Like, whoa, she like really like cares and like thinks about these things deeply. And I'm just like phoning yes. it in, basically. I'm like, eh, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how like I would conceptualize it, and it's. Again, let's like we we try to make light of these things because that helps relieve the tension a little bit. But you know, like looking back through, it's like whoa, like that was a real source of pain, like pain, like actual like pain and hardship. And that's why it can be so hard. It was hard for you to communicate that, and it can be hard to be living with that because you're just like interacting with the people around you and they're thinking, right? It's that perception thing almost, right? Like they're just like perceiving you in a certain way. And meanwhile, internally, you're like in turmoil and you don't even know you're in turmoil sometimes until somebody else puts a voice and a language to it and you go, whoa, this is what's happening. Um, And so I think that's like- Can I chime in? Can I chime in yeah. right there? Because of course, this is where I think I don't know if that got in the podcast, Audrey. But like, I remember around the time I was like, like I had just listened to it, and then I was like trying to like put my hands in different things, like try to like deconstruct a little. Um, I just like I cannot describe to you like how much my faith if I had to put a word to what it felt like to be so deeply in it which a lot of it was blended with my OCD I would probably just describe the word in one word which would be well I guess it would be two words but like it just was pure suffering like 
all the time. And then in the Catholic tradition, for some of the people that aren't familiar, suffering is like, for some subgroups, I know other people might not harp on it as much, but like in my home, that was incredibly valiant. Like to suffer was to be the holiest of the holy. And we were having, like, we have phrase, like offer it up, like bind the suffering, like find the suffering and see. And if you, if you have to, yeah, like don't injure your body, but like, if you're, if you're in suffering, then, you know, like you're, we're probably getting sanctified right now. And so mm-hmm. to fig to like, listen to like, you know, your early music and like hear this like relief of the suffering that was like found through God, like that was such a, it was so visceral. Like you could feel like, oh, it's like a relief from the suffering because like God is joy and God is, you know, whatever. But then we'd get this entire other narrative, which is where I felt like I was the most gaslit, which was like, God is this relief and this, you know, this, this pressure valve release kind of thing where like everything's hard, but like, it's not hard with God. Like he can relieve it. Right. And then when it came to like, I guess like understanding that like my entire experience was suffering. I was like, okay, so they're telling me it's beautiful and joyful. And then I seriously think, okay, this is probably where it came from is knowing how much I like, you know, for the listeners, I was like fangirling over Audrey. Like if I had a chance, I probably would have like gone to all of your stuff. Like I loved everything about your music and to hear someone that I really connected to, like with your creative work, with your music work, actually speak to how it felt in your suffering I don't know what it was. It was like what I needed. It was like I needed to hear that you also experienced that part of the faith that and so I don't want to speak for you there, Audrey, but like, do you have anything like, could you share a little bit about that? Like if like about that experience? About my relationship to suffering as a Catholic and all that. Or mean? maybe the evolution. Cause I don't want to I don't need like maybe like what it felt like maybe <laughs> there and then the evolution of your relationship with suffering sure wow yeah i have not been asked this question ever (laughs) so that's interesting i think about it a lot though um i do think you know i was not raised catholic i became a catholic at 24 however my um upbringing was still very it shared, it had had that in common, I would say, with Catholicism. So I was definitely steeped in the idea that sanctification, which meant to be made holy, you know, um, did largely come through trials and tribulations and then suffering, which is not, suffering is not um, synonymous in my mind with trouble or things that happen that are hard or pain or grieving. All of those things can be done while not suffering the way that I understood suffering, which was sort of like Mm. to, yeah, martyr yourself for the cause or for your holiness and to sort of offer it up, as you said, which actually I do sort of still, I still think about it in somewhat of a way like that, like where when painful things happen, I try to receive them versus reject them. And sure. 
and and so there's that i found some value in that whole way of thinking at the time and i still find some value in the idea that our suffering or let's say suffering meaning um okay so i think we have to define terms i know i actually yeah when i say suffering what i mean Mm -hmm. is like um because it can have different definitions for different people when I say suffering now, what I mean is like going through the pain in such a way that you're not really ready to let go of it or like ready to feel another way. You're sort of like wallowing a little bit, but not, I don't mean in a self-pitying sense, but you know, you have, sometimes you have to go through the, a relationship to the pain itself in order to transform that relationship. But that that's, you know, okay. my experience, whereas, you know, maybe when I was growing up, it was defined more as just pain. I think suffering was just pain. Like if you're in pain, then you can offer it up to God. You can look for what God's glory is going to receive out of the situation. You can ask for healing for yourself or other people. Let's say you can use this moment to sort of intercede for someone else who's in need. You can, and I, I love that aspect of it still, the idea that when you're in pain, when something's hard and you're just like in the knots and tangles of that feeling, that you can almost send your energy mm. towards someone who might be experiencing something like that and, and, and hope that in some way it's providing something for them. I, I think that's a cool idea. I like it. Um, I don't know if it does anything, but I'm like... I. I like the idea, you know, but I think so. So for me now, suffering is sort of a concept where I'm like, I can be in pain and not maybe martyr myself the way I did, like really just identify with this pain that God is giving me a thorn in the flesh for me to be pure. It's like everything in this world is about me. That's, that's the way that I think Mm. I, I look at it now. I'm like, I'm a fucking speck of dust on a planet that's been here for potentially billions of years like maybe this happened to me because 50 fucking thousand million years ago someone went left instead of right and so like now all these things happen and now that thing just happened to me like i think i really over overly inflated my sense of importance like Mm. this thing is happening to me and like i can use it for god and that part i'm like it's very very like western and kind of Mm. yes ludicrous to me in some ways now um right but, I mean, know, I'm always changing, yeah. so who knows what I'll think in 10 years. And that's what I think right now. That's, that, that's the evolution I think I was asking about. It's like when you were talking about wallowing, I actually have this phrase I tell clients. I say there's a difference between wallowing and allowing. And I talk about mm-hmm. like – I so like I've been like li- – I've been learning some Buddhist principles recently and like how we talk about like acceptance isn't saying, yeah, like you're totally fine to smack me in the face. Right. It's that you did smack me in the face. It's just not denying that it just occurred, right? So like the idea of allowing is like, yes, the suffering just occurred. I don't have to, I don't have to sit there and go, this is where I get because my specialty is toxic relationships. So I hear like rough things and I go, this is where I remember when me and CA call them breadcrumbs. We talk about like the the shards that stayed throughout mm-hmm. our entire existence, even when we were real, even when we were fully indoctrinated. We're like, ooh, that's still that's us. We can tell because it like stayed throughout it. Mm-hmm. But like that was one of the things that got me 
almost every time when I would hear purity talks or when I would hear anything that was like patriarchal, but it would be guys as like a woman's or men's talk or something. And every time I heard it, when they would say like, like turn the other cheek or like, you know, submit to this or do that or whatever. And like they're, the idea is like the premise mm-hmm. is like that everyone's like following the moral like structure of humanity. Right. Um, except when you take that ideology of like a distorted view of suffering, it's this mm-hmm. understanding of like, my husband beats me, but like maybe God's making me holier because of that. Right. And I'm like, we would, wow. we would, mm-hmm. I mean, we would be in some circles. Remember CA? Mm-hmm. I, we can't even mm-hmm. like name drop that circle. We were in some circles. Mm-hmm. We were in some yeah. circles and we would be horrified. There'd be times where I'm like, what did I just read? Like CA, mm-hmm. please tell me that mm-hmm. that's not like holiness. And they'd be like fully martyred. And I mean like martyrdom, like my husband is da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like- that's not what this, that's not, that's not embracing like suffering in the Buddhist principle at all. It's like Mm -hmm. self-advocacy is lost. And like, you can be acknowledging that you just got hit in the face, but to bind that to saying I'm getting holier because of it, Mm -hmm. like the narratives we, me and CA would hear would be so horrific. It'd be like, well, maybe you should separate. And they'd be like, God doesn't want you to divorce. And then they'd be like, Mm -hmm. right, but you need to keep your body safe. Like you're not safe right now. And they're like, but what if God's using your husband to sanctify you? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is cult-like at this point. I was like, or, or, or. Or in the reverse, it would be, but what if you could sanctify him? What if, what if you're, mm-hmm. you know, in his life yes. as a vessel to bring him to God? Right. Um, and I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, but yeah, it'll if, go too getting, bad. But that's the well, if I, getting. If I could offer a compassionate perspective on that for a second, not that you're not compassionate towards them, it's no. not my implication, but <laughs> right. But I just, right. I was sitting here listening to that, and I thought, man, like we will go to great lengths. We will to find a reason for why life is like this you know we will believe all kinds of fairy tales to try and just be okay with how hard it is to be alive like Mm -hmm. it is so hard to be a person um even in this age of all of our basic needs you know more or less being met um comparatively to say you know However many, I mean, lots of people still don't have basic needs met, so I'm not, you know, discounting that. But in terms of the, the elite societies in the world having all of this abundance and and technology and our needs are, you know, air, our air is conditioned and our feet are shod and we have, why am I talking like a (laughs) century page boy? I don't know, but like we have shoes, we have, you know our options of clothing and clean clothes and a wash and dryer and all these yeah. things that are above and beyond our basic needs above and beyond what we actually need to survive. And despite that, there's sort of this, um, well, interesting, maybe because of it, I don't know. There's this like spiritual mm-hmm. angst over trying to figure out why we're here and what are we doing here and what's the reason. And um, because all of the, the tragedies of life are so real and so sharp and so hard to accept and make sense out of. And I, you know, there's a song that I would really like be honored if you would listen to, I didn't write it. Um, but it's by this artist named Monica Martin and it's called go easy kid. Mm. And I 
without fail cry when I listen to it. And there's one part where she sort of says like, um, it's the bridge. I'm going to just blow the whole uh, surprise here. But she says, uh, cut through the smoke. There's no secret special code, no deeper hidden wisdom, just accept we'll never know. And whenever she says it, I just, and her voice is insane. And the melody is insane, but I, I'm like, I don't know if that's the whole reality or anything. I'm not claiming that there's no meaning and that there's no, yeah. I'm not saying that. I don't know that, but that's the point. Like, I don't know that. I don't really know. And I'm never really going to know. And no matter what religion I find or what group I follow or what book I read, I'm never really going to understand why we're here and what all this is. Like, mm. it's not coming. That's not there. I can um, flesh out my perspective, which is with as much living as I can and inform myself with living, but that's all I can do. And I will die mm -hmm. not knowing and not understanding and not being able to make sense out of some of this shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And that I really, I don't believe much, but I think I believe that. I'm like, that seems reasonable to me. And, right. but people who are, you know, still medicating with like mm -hmm. black and white or binary, all or nothing, as you said, religious binaries, I mean, I get it. I'm like, I understand. Oh, I, I think yes. it's mm -hmm. so hard to let go of that thinking, not because the ideas make sense, but because if they're not true, then everything you thought was keeping you safe is not keeping you safe. And exactly. so the security, we're basically just big children. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. The, the security that, you know, religious structures and ideologies provide for people psychologically mm -hmm. is um, that's what's hard yeah, to, to deconstruct, right? That's what's hard to and like, let go I of and be like, too, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. It's true. I agree. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I do want to also add that earlier, you know, you guys were talking about your experiences, hearing me share where I was at and it having some or any role to play in your conversation with yourselves about these same things. And I was thinking about how, first of all, that's an honor, but second of all, I also felt that when I was a Catholic, when I was a public Catholic speaking on stages at places like the school you went to or the conferences that happened there every year, I think I was that for someone then too. Oh like gosh. wherever we are in the process, yes. there's someone who, and I mean, including some of the people in my life who've hurt me the most, I think about how, what cycle did they break in their mm. lifetime? Not everybody does maybe, but I have known some people in my life who have broken some, so, some real cycles and yet there are others that they perpetuated really horribly and it's both and. And so like, right. I just want to hope that each of us is sort of taking things a little bit you know, like a step further towards sure, sure. freedom and hoping that, you know, as I change, I can forgive myself for all those years of standing on those stages at all, because I know that it did provide goodness to someone. Mm -hmm. And maybe I wasn't all the way out yet, you know, and I wasn't preaching like the full liberation from everything, but I was doing what I could do then you know that's how I make Absolutely. peace with it it's sort of like where was I going to be other than where I was <laughs> it's not how it works it's not linear and changes don't happen when you think they should and it's just 
here we are. Well, but. we've talked about that um, in past episodes as well. Um, it's, it's, it's a huge like value system of mine to have like radical self-acceptance and self-compassion. Um, specifically, as we grow and evolve as people, <laughs> I, I don't know how many of us experience this, but probably a lot of us, right? You look back on older versions of yourself and, and you can cringe or you can balk mm-hmm. or like yeah. bristle at like older versions of yourselves or even condemn older like there's these tendencies to want to just be like oh like oh I just like Mm -hmm. I cannot believe I was that person right but I feel like there's actual real healing and power in looking at those versions with so much love and compassion and so much acceptance and saying Mm -hmm. I know who she was I know why she did the things she did and said the things she said and made the choices she Mm -hmm. made and I don't judge or condemn that version of her for doing what she did at mm-hmm. the time and 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 not but and I am no longer in alignment with those choices so mm-hmm. therefore now I'm making new choices and I'm speaking in a new way and that doesn't mean that I reject and condemn mm-hmm. older versions of myself right. no we have to integrate all these parts of ourselves and be very loving and compassionate about the way that we speak about older versions of ourselves and other people in our lives that are in similar versions of who we once were as well. It's like, no, we can't sit there and just be like, oh, that idiot, right? It's like, well, no, because like, that's part of you too. And that's part of your life and your journey. And it's important to learn to love and accept all of those facets. I just, Mm -hmm. I just like, I have a commitment to not be my own bully anymore. And that includes the past versions of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to bully this, the, the person that didn't have all the information, the person that was deep in their like disordered thought pattern, or I'm not going to bully them because they were suffering mm-hmm. and they didn't have all the information. And, and even if they did get the information presented to them, because I remember my best friend sitting there and being like, Jamie, you're in a vacuum. Like, I'm scared. I think I'm losing you. I just heard a friend I caught up with from high school and he goes, Jamie, you were always all or nothing. When you were vegan, you were crazy vegan. You wouldn't stop talking about being vegan. You told mm-hmm. everybody to be vegan. You constantly preached about being vegan. And I and he goes, and then you became very, very Christian and then or Catholic. And then he goes, and then all of a sudden, I remember catching word that you were you were getting deeper and deeper into it. And my brain was like, this is Jamie's, one of Jamie's all or nothing things. And he looked at me and this is like, probably 15 years since he like, you know, was really close with me. And he looked at me and he goes, I just didn't ever see that version of you as who you were, which was like weird to hear him say, even though, you know, that's a perception of his. But like, when I heard him say that, I was like, how can this person that like just knew me a few years in high school could gather information that I couldn't grasp for so long? And like, Getting back to the relationship with the, uh, suffering, I wanted to, I wanted to point something out. You said Audrey, which was so to me, a, a, it was a pivotal moment in the healing journey for me. Which was I stopped letting. How do I explain? This is a harder concept to explain. <laughs> how I stopped letting like constructs be my identity. 
So for example, you said, I didn't like suffering can become people's like identity, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're saying like, I'm the, like, I'm the person that, you know, gets this way, or I'm the person that does this. Right. And like, for a long time, that was like my anxiety, like I, a construct of what I, what anxiety is and how it presents. I remember being like, yeah, I'm just like really anxious. And like, that's just like, you know, I'm just like an anxious person. And like, you know, um, just giving you the heads up that I'm kind of, you know, all over the place sometimes because that's just like how I am. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time for my therapist to be like, like, uh, you know, and like, she would like Mm -hmm. challenge me about how I embodied and like identified as a human being. And when people start identifying as they Mm -hmm. are like suffering in body, well, first of Mm -hmm. all, that's way too much energy to be like, I sit there and I go, that's so much energy to like embody. Of course, it's going to feel painful. But like, I think that's to me where like, I mean, maybe that's just, I just, you know, clarify if I misinterpreted you. But like, when I heard you talking about your perception of suffering, like I obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting probably influenced by my recent reading about Buddhism, but I heard a lot of like, how that ideology approaches suffering where it's like mm-hmm. it's part of life it exists for me to pretend it doesn't exist is actually going to cause more pain like so on and so forth and then the alternative which is like when people are literally like shifting their the core parts of who they are and saying like I'm an anxious person I'm someone Mm -hmm. who like is the one that's going to martyr every time or whatever. And that's where Mm -hmm. I think I would get so scared because when I told you, I would like run to CA and be like, please, because of my OCD, I would hear women talk about how much they were like martyring themselves. And I'd be like, can someone tell me if that's what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be like letting people like, hurt me and abuse me and like I'm not supposed to have boundaries for myself and I would have to like because I'd have so much self-doubt I'd have to go to someone I trusted and I'd be like scared that that's supposed to be how I'm how I'm supposed to be Catholic or how I'm supposed to be faithful mm-hmm. so I'd be like running to CA and be like say please tell me that what you just saw that woman write like isn't how I'm supposed to be and she goes Jamie that's not like kind to yourself to like it's actually hurting yourself if you're gonna like embody like that right and Mm -hmm. that to me is where Mm -hmm. I think the I guess ripple effect can happen and we can't control that right because it's like that woman obviously was suffering and she was describing her relationship with her husband and she was describing it like okay it's making me holier I guess I'll stay kind of thing and for someone like me, I was so scared that I was supposed to be that extreme. Mm -hmm. And like, it wasn't until I guess, you know, someone like CA was like a little like she has a different mind processor than I do. Mm -hmm. It was really helpful to hear like someone be like, Jamie, it's that that to me sounds like it's not being respectful of the human person, like the human dignity of the self, right? And that helped me, I guess, like understand that like at some fundamental level, we don't have to like seek out suffering or like identify as, mm-hmm. I guess, identi- like have our identity mm-hmm. as suffering. 
So something I wanted to um, ask you, Audrey, has to do with metrics almost. So when I was really deeply entrenched in my ideology, and um, I'll have you answer this question as well, like there were certain external metrics that I could turn to, to help me know that I was like on the right path or doing the right thing or, you know, whatever. And then to like letting go of that whole system, I had to be like, okay, how do I now know that I'm like, oh, and oh, like that I'm doing the right thing. Right. Um, and so, and this is, we, we've already touched on it a little bit, right. That like, you don't have to actually replace an old system with some new system and you don't have to pretend to know all of the answers, but in general, um, it feels like we are wanting some sort of internal guidance Mm. system of some sort. That's kind of like letting us know that we're navigating a correct path. So for me, those sorts of things have become, you know, kind of like my inner peace and am I feeling like in alignment? Do I feel like I'm having to minimize myself to fit into a certain space or hide parts of myself to fit into a space? Like those are sort of like, newer um guidance systems that I use inside of myself to know that like I'm in safe spaces and I'm I'm on a better kind of like aligned path for myself. So what has that journey been like for you? Well, I mean it's very much in process. I think as I navigate releasing new music for the first time in a really long time, I'm constantly bumping up against those questions. Mm-hmm. Um Constantly, because it's sort of like in the past, I had to some degree or another, yeah, as you said, metrics or like a GPS that I could follow to some degree. It wasn't like I felt necessarily like I knew specifically everything I was supposed to do, but I felt a certain type of calling or I felt a certain type of responsibility or I felt, you know, and I in the last few years have sort of lost all access to that sense of anything you know and and knowing I don't know yeah there that is sort of tied to what you were saying Jamie as well like where I felt this in the past it was sort of like uh, there was always an external voice informing where I was heading or what I was doing and I felt like I needed that and so I would seek it out if I didn't you know I wasn't necessarily tuning in and kind of really consulting my inner world for this type of guidance much at all. I was sort of actively, I think, coached out of doing that. And so it's hard for me to separate my musical evolution from my spiritual one because I and I don't I don't even know how to like articulate it yet. I still feel like I'm in the middle of a big change right now. Um but the best way I think I can put it is to say that sometimes old things that we used to, you know, find so normal, secure, comforting, relying change without warning and like for me um i none of the methods i used to use to write songs really work anymore because again my writing was so intertwined with my beliefs that changing my beliefs like blew apart the whole system i think and so knowing like what kind of music i want to make and what i want to sing about is so hard for me to answer sometimes because i have spent so many years not consulting myself not using internal metrics to make these decisions and 
I think that making this album, which is releasing slowly over the next year, has been a very growing up experience because I haven't had access to any of those metrics anymore. And I'm having to make these choices for myself. And if I had known how hard that was going to be, I would have probably been surprised. Like I thought I was through the hard part of leaving my religion, losing religion, I guess you could say. And I think I just realized like, oh, this is, um, this is going to be a longer road than I even knew because the thinking is so deep and so old. However, I would also say that music, and you were mentioning this earlier as well, the relationship people have to music and the spirit and the body and all of that. I'm so grateful that I like to make music still because I'm like, this is a greatly therapeutic tool to move through this change with vibration and sound and rhythm, you know? And for me to really fall in love with the music itself, with the work itself, without like, this has been, it's been so good for me because I think, uh, let me wrap up. I do have a point. I'm tying it all together here, but the, the urge and the the compulsion that I've always had to like sort of um, justify making music because it served Mm. the world and God. And it was my way of, you know, giving what I had in service of something and someone else. And I have truly been rewriting that. And I think knowing that I would be more content being a, I don't know, you name the career, whatever else and, and playing piano and singing and writing songs for my own, my own experience being the reason I'm doing it. I've truly been getting back there for the first time in a very long time. And I think um, it's good timing because I don't really know how this is all going to go, but all this to say, working on trying to continue to release songs that feel deep, intricate and interesting um but that swim in a wide 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 place you know um so I'm hopeful that like I can stop overthinking it all so much it's kind of like so I wrote a book and got a book deal and then returned the advance and didn't put the book out because okay (laughs) I was like tell me (laughs) I know the book was about deconstruction And I realized I finished the first draft and I was like, I don't want to be the girl on stage talking about this anymore. I, Mm -hmm. if I write this book and put it out, the next five years of my life are going to be me promoting this book and going on tour and trying to do speaking events to have a conversation that I really need to take a break from. Like I really need to take the next few years. This was in 20. 20 I think that I decided to return the advance I was or 21 2021 so it's been two years um and I was like I need to like go play some music have some fun talk about something else like drink some wine go to Europe (laughs) I didn't do that but I you know um work hard like keep house plants cook my food not like all of this obsession and fixation over like even my own Mm -hmm. suffering and my own trauma I was like I'm doing that thing I'm doing that thing where I'm like Mm. You have to like make sense of it suffering or something. I have Mm -hmm. to creating chaos for myself by even worrying about this right now. Like what if for like a while, I just didn't think about what it meant. I didn't think about who I am now. I don't, 
Because it right? turns out out here in the world, like people, yes, are going through all kinds of trauma and pain and having all kinds of dysfunction and all of that's the same. However, it turns out that sometimes you can just like have a good time. Sometimes you can just oh, yeah. enjoy yourself. You're allowed like, to just like live? Yeah, oh, be- that's a thing? <laughs> you don't. You don't even have to be developing yourself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't even yeah. have to be like thinking about how to how to like um, untangle your old thought patterns all the oh time. God, you know, I I, know. I, yep. I I I've realized so much how much my OC. I sorry, correcting how much the OCD symptoms that I have lived with have impacted the way that I even try to have a good time in this world. You know, oh, like, oh I'm gonna research psychedelics for two years, <laughs> read every book, and like, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh cool it's just it doesn't have to be I don't have to sweat it so much you know oh my god and music is like a good way to remember that that like this life is a breath like we're gonna be here for you know a few snaps of the finger right and no one will remember us mostly and so it's like all this philosophizing and all this chantangling Mm. it's okay Mm -hmm. but it is not necessarily the way I want to spend my time for the rest of the time I have here wow you're like wow. the nail. You, the I know. This is why it's so Everything you're saying right now like, is so is resonant. It's crazy. No, Jamie knows this. I've literally been saying such similar things so to her lately. Like in my own in my own personal journey, I've told her, I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm just like burnt out on like trauma healing and self-growth. Like, when do I get to just literally just like be in my body and just like experience my literal life that I'm in the middle of living? Like, why is everything have to be made sense of and integrated and fixed and, and all of that and like serving some sort of a purpose, right? What you were saying, like, with that book and like deciding to walk away from that, realizing that like, I don't have to like, this doesn't have to serve a purpose. Like my, my personal deconstruction journey can just be what it was. And I don't have to now go around and like yeah. make a and, whole and thing of it. I need to make a career out of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I really easily and, could have. I really easily could have. Right. Yeah. Like, I yep. don't think that's the feature I want to choose. But that's the thing yeah. with like your music and like the, the, the way that like Christian music for you, like that writing process and the, the experience of it, like that was all about like, oh, I'm just like a conduit for a higher purpose. And like mm. my music has to serve a purpose and then releasing new music to where right. you're like, or, or art can just be expression. Art can just be a way to just say what you're thinking and feel what you're feeling. And there doesn't have to be some like grand, like arc of, of glory that it has to serve. And Jamie and I talk about this sometimes too, um, uh, art itself, right. Making art that like, just like immediately disappears. Right. So that like chalk art or, um, my, my husband, yeah, yeah, my, my husband is an artist as well. And lots of times we'll go to the beach and he'll make these beautiful like beach things in the wet Mm. sand that, you know, are going to be gone in 20 minutes when the, when the tide rolls in and like the beauty Mm. of doing that, of just making art itself, like that is the value there, there doesn't have to be some higher value or higher yeah, purpose to it. It's literally just mm-hmm. the creation itself is the reward. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the one mm-hmm. thing I would say is like, I think what's profound about creative energy 
is that it's powerful in and of itself without our intersection, like without us being mm-hmm. involved. I, I, I literally, mm-hmm. that's what's so interesting about the creative force is because think about music and think about how many people like belabor the point of like, no, that you, you're telling me, <laughs> like the artist is like, mm-hmm. did you, you're, you're telling me the song is about divorce. I keep hearing everyone telling me the song's about divorce. That's not what the, that's not what I was going for. That's not my creative process. Like, you know, this is about this. And I mm-hmm. understand that to some degree because nobody wants to be like rewritten their narrative. But if you, I was telling CA about, I just finished the book, Big Magic. I don't know if you read mm-hmm. that book. Oh it's a good God. one. Yeah. And so when I, when I finished it, she talked about like, she wrote this, I don't think it was her, it might've been her Eat, Pray, Love. It might've been her big hit. But like, she said that a woman came up and was like, oh my God, that book and started sharing all these things. Oh, that it was someone book. else's book. And no, yeah, no, right? no, it wasn't someone else's <laughs> oh, book. It was, she, it was okay. It was okay. She basically started share. It could have been somebody else's book, but she goes, she was like, I can't tell you how helpful it was. And she was like that part where like this happened. And she goes, I don't remember writing that ever, but what she said was it didn't matter. That's what I thought was so beautiful about like her takeaway. Cause she goes, whatever that woman needed to get out of that book and whatever takeaway she needed, the book carried it for her, not me, the book, the actual expression of the creative energy did it. Yeah. The, the art did it for her. And to me, that's the magic. That's the magic where if you sit there and you go, if I create a song out of sheer, like authentic, raw energy, and this song mm. just resonates in a way, like I remember messaging you, one of your like top hits on Spotify is open the eyes mm. of my, right? Open. What is it? Open. Yes. I, open I the eyes of my heart. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to that song. Yeah. It's a cover of open yeah. the eyes of my heart, Lord. And I, I messaged her. I don't know if I told you this, but I messaged Audrey. I don't know a while ago. And I said, I re-listened to that. And I typically don't listen to praise and worship music because I have so many, like, my brain, like, unleashes floodgates of things where I'm like, this is overwhelming. (laughs) Um, But that song, for some reason, I was able to listen to. And I could hear in this way that it was speaking to the consciousness that I was currently carrying. And to me, that is the power of creative energy, is that it will meet people. Mm -hmm wherever they are oh, yeah. and wherever yeah, they sense. need it to be. And when that. people go, think about that. Like when they, people go, well, yeah, you are the originator of the energy. Like you are the precipitator of the energy, right? You're the facilitator of that energy. You're the artist, right? Mm-hmm. But what's so mm-hmm. profound is if I went into museum and us, we had a girl's day or something, I was like, all right, everyone tell me what you thought about that piece. You might be like, oh my God, it felt so dark and heavy. And mm-hmm. I was like, are you kidding me? I felt like that piece energized me. Like, what are you talking about? And like all three, and CA goes, I don't know. I got this weird, like eclectic, like hippie vibe from it. And all of us are looking at each other. Like we have three heads and we're like, did you look at the same art piece that I looked at? And it's that whole, it's that whole like Buddhist, like example of like everyone's touching the elephant and they think they're hitting a rope or a trunk or, you know, and it's like Mm -hmm. every single viewpoint is valid. And it's all our takeaway from the art. I was just going to say, I I read an interview or I watched an interview, like, probably over a decade ago with Paul Simon about um, mm. some one of his songs. And the the guy asked him, like, what does it mean, you know? Because his lyrics are a little hard to, you're like, oh, it could be this, it could be that. 
and he's one of my favorite writers and artists ever. And he said, well, I don't know. I mean, I write it what I write it about and then I release it and then it's about whatever it's about to whoever hears it. You know, that's kind of, it's sort of not a, he's not thinking of it as this thing of like, it has an objective meaning. It's like, I put my thing out there just Mm -hmm. like in an argument or conversation, you might say something you have, we have my perception of what I said and we have your perception of what I said, but what we don't have is what I actually said. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of like, even the same words can be heard differently in 10 different moments of a person's day. And so I think music is very and creative. I, I totally feel that. That's what I was going to circle back to what you were saying about stopping overthinking it. And like, that's where the freedom mm-hmm. comes from. You get to stop overthinking things once you come to that realization of art is what it is. And these creative mm-hmm. energies are just out there and people are going yeah. to connect with it in the way that it yeah. hits them at that time and place. And we don't have to overthink it, right? Like we can just like create mm-hmm. and make and, and release and put it out there. And then it is what it is. Yeah. And it'll, it's going to be what it's yeah. going to be. I So we do have to wrap up in a few minutes. But what I wanted to ask is, what is something that you would want to share with the listeners of this new album? Like what are what's something you would love to relay to the listeners? <laughs> Oh, um, let's see. I'm imagining them now. They are sitting in a bar in New York City, two of them. Um, it's karaoke night. It's it's queer karaoke night. Oh, nice. And <laughs> they're, both, they're both dressed up. And um, they... I'm just kidding. Oh my I'm God, like no, but Ellie, I need to hear this story because it sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, who would I want to be listening to my new album? Yeah. That's what comes to my mind. Um, well, you know, I think what I really hope is that, or actually, sorry, let me, let me rephrase. I think the music has to sound good. You know, you can't just be putting out heartfelt (laughs) bullshit out here, Audrey. Like I, I really have worked hard, hard on the music for this album. Like (sighs) hard. I've worked so hard. So, and that's not just me. I have a producer that's producing it with me and we have found this incredible creative collaborative space together. And um, we have worked so hard. And when I'm talking, like we have made iterations, some of these songs have had eight, 10 different iterations, like where we're exploring different styles and different genres and different um, approaches to recording and new melodies and the rewrite and rewrite, you know, the song that I put out in June called Better didn't get rewritten, but it got re-recorded like a few times, different tempos, different, you know, just all different kinds of things that there was a bridge I added at one point, we took it out and it um, has been such a process. And I think that the fruit of it is like, for me, you know, it's so beautiful. I'm just so proud of it. And I really hope that people like it, but I also am sort of like, dude, that was the win. Like, I feel like I have made the music that I've always known I could make and I hope I can make way more. But, um, if I, if I died after this music came out, I would feel like I had really done my best work at this time. And that Mm -hmm. is not something I can always say that I felt. So that's what I would want people to know. And, you know, I hope that, I hope that people do check it out, but if they don't, I'm just so glad I got to make it that it's okay. Oh my <laughs> but God. I'm excited for people. I know it will connect with 
the people it will connect with. I'm I'm very excited for that stage because it has felt a little bit like, you know, pregnancy for three years straight, and I'm like yeah. ready to <laughs> shoot it out now. Just let's so. let's let's release. Yeah, let's release this yeah, out into the world. <laughs> Oh I'm my excited. God. Yeah. This is, I, well, first I just want to thank you for being here. Um, that just seeing, you know, this come to this like full circle of me, like listening to you probably as a sophomore in college, yeah, just like, oh, baby, yeah. <laughs> like whatever, like, you know, I going from there and like knowing that this evolution and honestly, I just think it gives me this beautiful sense of like the, the beautiful richness that is the human experience and like get to see and like at least even observe, but also like also experience it internally. And then knowing that there are people along the way that like we can have these conversations with, like I I'm being serious. Like every time I have a really great conversation on the podcast, I go, I have so much gratitude for this moment because there's so many people that couldn't talk to me the way we just mm-hmm. talked to each other. I'm serious. And not, not because they're not as smart or whatever, but like to have this level of like a conscious conversation to me is just a gift that I, I, I have immense gratitude for. Cause I, I, I seek these kinds of people in my life. I seek these kinds of relationships and to mm-hmm. know that there are people out there that are like, yeah, I'm asking that question too. And I sit with that too. And I, I struggle with that as well, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it helps people feel less alone. We hope that our listeners feel less alone. Anyone who is going through deconstruction, I, I absolutely encourage you to go into that liturgist episode, go into our religious trauma series, and then just check out Audrey's journey. Like she has amazing, music and she's a phenomenal artist like the mm-hmm. type of voice yeah can we just like hype her up for a second like <laughs> can the, we just can the, we just fangirl for a second can we just love oh, on God. you for two <laughs> I don't know CA go go on and show the love because I, I I can't even say any more so much well yeah I mean you just said it all but I want to also um Audrey, like, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and taking this moment mm-hmm. to speak with us as like you're, you know, just releasing new music. And I feel like so honored that we got to hold space and be together and have this conversation and be vulnerable together and, you know, get a little wacky and not have answers and, and all of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just been... um it's been a great, you know, hour and 20 minutes speaking with you. And I hope that our listeners are able to find the same value that I have found. And I've, I know that many and many of them will. It's the same thing with like uh, you releasing music, right? The ones that are going to connect with it are going to connect with it. And um, yeah, I personally, yeah. yes, in my fangirl moment, I personally literally on a personal level. I'm very excited. I loved the new song and I'm so excited for everything else that's coming. I appreciate the hard work that you put into it when you were describing it. That is um, something that I appreciate on a personal level and don't take lightly. I am surrounded by creatives. I myself am a creative person. So I know the energy that it takes, the work that it takes and the vulnerability that it takes. And so I I, I really, on a deep 
personal level have like actual visceral gratitude for artists when they release their art because I'm just like nobody is making you do this like nobody is making you create beautiful things and you're doing it and I'm so thankful and so yeah yeah just wanted to I couldn't let the moment pass without being like oh just like thank you for being who you are thank you both thanks for having me and um for offering me this chance to have a conversation it's yeah. been great. All right. So we do want to give you, how would people find you? Like, what's the best way? Mm-hmm. Like, is it, is there anything you want to let anybody know or any times or dates or sites? Yeah. Maybe visit? <laughs> um, well, let's see. I am on Instagram and TikTok and all of that. I don't post a ton, but um, you can find more content there, videos and things. Um, and then I have a website, audreyasad.com. And then, you know, just the music, I think, Spotify, Apple Music, et cetera, et cetera. I would be honored if, you know, anyone listening wanted to go check out this new single called Better. Um, yeah, that would be it, I think. And Thank then you. they get notified, right? Because didn't you, like, I think I signed up and then I got like a text or something when you dropped more songs, right? Oh, I think maybe that's the thing. I don't know, actually. If my, there's, I used this. I a, can't remember. I think you just get notified about the song that you pre-saved. I don't think oh, it was your email sure. list. It was your yeah, email maybe my email okay. list. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, and list. I have a blog. I have a blog called The Violet Fields. That's another thing I want to say because I I write more long form there, and I'm a little more active there than I am on social media. So, um, it's thevioletfields.substack.com. Okay, okay. I love that. No, see, I'm learning stuff because I don't think I knew about the violet. Now <laughs> I'm like, oh, I gotta go. Um, but yes, thank you so much. We have to wrap up right now, but we appreciate everybody listening and. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at The Unlearned Podcast or individual Instagrams at Recollected Self and CAs at Embracing Divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our Coffee Fiend Club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called Unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work